0: Well, greetings to each one. Today's part of the service. I must say I have found it a blessing to be here today. I think of Alex, you leading out in the song service. And uh, the blessing of looking at a favorite psalm and uh, sharing, the family sharing and Mary sharing, And then the children's lesson about faithfulness, guidance of God. It's been a blessing. We've been richly, richly instructed this morning. So, thank the Lord for that. Well, one thing we haven't done at this point here, we haven't prayed together as a group. So, why don't we stand for a word of prayer? Stand Lord, we are grateful to you as we had heard how you, as a shepherd, take well care of your sheep. And part of that is mixing good things and unpleasant things in our lives. And when we allow them to be mixed together and respond properly, that we actually become a perfume. A perfume comes out of our lives, and we know that. We know that to be true, Lord, because we have seen it in other people. We have seen others who have gone through tremendous hardship and have allowed that to temper them and to purify them, and then the thing that comes out of their lives is beautiful. Lord, that is how you work, and that is what what you are doing in each of our lives. So we thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning, we praise you, and we also ask you, Lord, to um, to be with us the rest of this morning here and to uh, instruct us, but not just instruct our, our heads, but our hearts, motivate us, Lord, to follow you, serve you, to love you, and to love others so we pray we pray you would do that this morning we pray in Jesus name amen you may be seated this morning i would like to speak on another very familiar scripture this morning it's a study in what is called the love chapter 1st corinthians 13 love is called charity in this chapter someone has said that the word charity is a, a good word for love because charity means love in action and i agree to a point the way but the way we normally think of charity today is um doing good deeds to poor people or people in need that's, that's charity and that is correct although that is too narrow of a view, as we will see this morning, and in fact, some of these deeds of charity that are done may not actually have the essence of love. So love, what is it? We have all heard these quotes, love is what makes the world go around. Love is finding someone you can talk to late into the night. Love, I got this out of a dictionary, love is an emotion that keeps people bonded and committed to one another. And the most familiar one, love is blind, right? You can't see, they had too much of this medicine, okay. And you could probably add to that list. Of different quotes. However, the love that Paul lays out before this troubled church at Corinth is something quite different from all of these quotes. See, he could commend the church for a, a, a significant number of things. They had speaking abilities. They had spiritual gifts. They had, uh, they had knowledge. They had faith. They had a lot of things, but there was something missing, wasn't it, in this church? <clears throat> in one aspect, the Corinthians were really going to town. I, I I look at this study. I think their meetings were lively. Like I said, they had an abundance of spiritual gifts, and they were exercising them. But was Paul impressed? And maybe the question we could ask, was God impressed with what was going on in their services? There's this essential element lacking. And of all the things they had, they missed the very thing that down at the bedrock was essential. You cannot not have this and be pleasing to God. And that is charity. The title for this message is um, taken from a a phrase that's repeated in the first three verses. And have not charity. And have not charity. That is a big problem. It's like having this beautiful, new, shiny, high-performance, well-tuned, BMW in your driveway, waiting for you to go in and drive it, and it has no gas in the tank. Or it's like having this Sakuzi, elaborate, big, this, this, this big, with the jets ready to go and everything, and you have no water. And you say, it's, the apparatus is there, but there's an there's an essential element missing and when that element is missing you can't enjoy it. I mean how much of how many of you like to sit in this big tub with no water? It's hard. I mean I'd rather be in bed. The point is if the essential ingredient is missing all the other stuff stuff is worthless. It's like, what's the point? And that is the case with this love. By the way, I'm not preaching at anybody this morning. I am. This is a study for me. So in this love chapter, there is first an elaboration of the preeminence of love, which is verses 1 to 3. Then it's the definition of love, which is 4 to 7. And it includes with a discussion on the permanence of love. And we won't, we won't get, we won't get more than verse five probably. So we won't get nearly through this chapter. Now I'm going to keep the structure of the scriptures and we're going to emphasize the preeminence of love before we actually describe what love is or actually look at what, what love does. So we don't really know what love is yet, but we're going to find out how absolutely important it is for us to have it, whatever it is. So we're going to read the first three verses first of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, maybe some of you, like we read it, I, uh, one of my children could, I didn't have to read it, they could quote it to me. Maybe you have it memorized And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. These three verses have an identical structure. If I have these things, but I don't have this, then the end result is this. That's the structure of this, of these three verses. So I can speak well. Tongues of men and angels. Now tongues here really means languages, so I can speak other languages. I can actually with supernatural ability, I can go to another langu- another people and, and I can actually speak their language. I can tell them about God. I can speak to them in their mother tongue. I could communicate all the things that are in my heart to them. And then I would meet an angel. And then I could talk to the angel in the angel's language. And I could converse with that angel. I could speak the language of men and of angels. Because I am spiritually gifted. Question, do angels have angel language? <laughs> Whenever we have an angel speak to people in the Bible, they always spoke the language of the person they were speaking to. So I don't know if you need to know angel language. I don't think you do. But here's the point. Paul, What Paul is actually doing in these verses is some, some kind of hyperbole. He, he's making an exaggeration to make a point. It's taking something to an extreme to make the contrast clearer. Jesus did that quite a bit. He said those Pharisees, he said they put heavy burdens on people, but they won't lift a little finger. That's a hyperbole. Um, he said that it's easier for a, what, what went through the eye of the needle? Camel, camel to go through the eye of the needle. Yes, then for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, that's an extreme case. And, and, of course, and they talked about you strain a gnat and you swallow a camel. I mean, you just think of the picture in mind. It's hyperbole. So Jesus did that. Well, that's, that's some of what Paul's doing here. But whether you can speak, supernaturally speak other language, languages, or whether you can speak angel languages, it's not the point. What is the point? Even if I could do these astounding abilities, and I don't have charity, I'm just noise. I'm just a noisy pest. Without love, my supernatural speaking abilities are an annoyance. Well, what if I have the gift of Prophecy. Suppose I could prophesy eloquently and flawlessly. Now prophecy has two aspects. The one, the one we commonly think of is when God speaks, tells a man something that what God is going to do and he tells this man something and this man is supposed to go to these people and he's supposed to tell them what God told him. He, what's going to happen? He is a prophet. We call them prophets. That's one aspect of prophecy. The other aspect is when someone actually takes the word of God and he sees God, what God is like. He's, he knows what God's heart is. He knows what God wants done. And he takes that and he goes to the people. That's also, and there are women, men and women, you can all do this. You can prophesy because you can read God's word. You can know what it is. And then you can tell people that's a version of prophecy. So you can hear from God. He speaks to you. You can read in his word and you understand it perfectly. And you are able then to speak with eloquence. And you have a phenomenal response to that. That's great. But if you don't have love you have nothing nothing let's imagine you're on a scale of 10 to 1 a 10 to 0 10 being the best 0 being the well, nothing well you're not when when you when you don't have love you're not a 5 or a 3 or a 2 you are a 0 you are a 0 the best example i know of of this It's Jonah. Imagine Jonah. Uh, Anyone believe Jonah had love for those people he was preaching to? Did he preach to them? He did. Did he have a response? He did. In fact, there is nothing in the scripture anywhere close to that response that prophet Jonah had. But he had no love. And this... So... So... um, Good insight and good speaking abilities are not evidences for love. Well, suppose I can understand all mysteries. Now, a mystery is a very specific word here. uh, A mystery is something that was hidden in the past. God had it hidden. But now he revealed it. It's a mystery, uh, the mystery of the kingdom, the, the mystery of Christ and the church, the bride of Christ, the mystery of godliness. There's a lot of mysteries that were. And, and you now, now you are here, and you know, and you can understand mysteries. You can actually, uh, maybe you know more mysteries. You actually know how the end's going to come. That's right. You know eschatology. You know what the seven seals represent and how it's going to play out. You know who the 144,000 are. You know who the man of sin is. You can name him. you got it figured out. You know how it's going to happen. You understand it. I think of the prophet Balaam. He understood who Israel was. He was a prophet. He understood. And if you would have heard him prophesying, you would have probably been inspired. But he was in it for the money and for the fame. That's what he was there for. And he got a zero. He was not a righteous man, even though he prophesied. So anyone anyone that has insight into the mysteries of God and without love gets a zero. What about knowledge? You know your beliefs, your doctrines are correct, and so are your practices. You're not an heir. You actually know a lot more than most people. In fact, in this context, you know it all. <laughs> it's a hyperbole. You, you, all knowledge. You just know it all. You, you know actually what God's heart is on every point. This is what God thinks about this. This is what God thinks about divorce and remarriage. This is what God thinks and you can go down and on. You, you got it. You, you know it. But you don't have love. Now we come to faith. Now faith is the epitome of godliness. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, you believe God. You move out in faith. And things happen. You could actually, an exaggerated statement, actually, obviously, but you actually have enough faith to move mountains. Things move when you believe, you really do have faith. The disciples of Jesus, they had enough faith to heal people and to cast out devils. They actually did it. But they did not have enough love to keep from arguing who was the greatest. So, so, This great Christian grace of faith is actually fails without the test of love. Now this third verse here in First Corinthians is actually more astounding because it looks so much like love. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned. Now the bestow to feed is one word in the Greek. It's used only one other time in the New Testament, and it's Romans twelve twenty. I'll just read it. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him; if he thirst, give him drink. For then you'll heap coals of fire on his head. So God directs us to feed our enemies if he's hungry. So here you are, and you are doing what God says. You are actually giving your stuff away. You are actually giving. Everything away. You give all your goods. You give everything till you have nothing left over except yourself. And then you give that away and you get burned. They burn you. You give everything to the ultimate. And then here comes that refrain and have not charity, it profiteth you nothing. There's no profit, there's no gain. You do not get anything back of any value from doing all that. Now it's not that loveless, loveless action has no effect. Those rich—I was thinking of that—that that, that Jesus was watching the people putting money in the treasure at the temple, and that widow came with those two mites. But those rich people were putting lots of money in, and that money went somewhere, and that money had an effect. So. If, if people give money to charity, they give money to missionaries, they give money to whatever cause they have, that money has an effect. It, it, it does things, but if it's not done in love, it has no benefit to you. You get no benefit from it. It's like that, a Pharisee that gives money, uh, gives alms to be seen a men, it says, he gets his benefit, but he doesn't get anything from God. So there's no spiritual benefit for the giver if it's not done for the right reason and with the right heart, which in this case doesn't have charity. These three verses make the point over and over. It's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do it's of any value in the long run if you do not have charity, if love is missing. All your activities are just noise. You become a zero on the scale of 10 to zero, and you gain absolutely no profit. Now, do you think, as Paul was talking to these Corinthians and uh, what he's writing here, do you think he has their attention by now? And maybe we should ask whether to have our attention by now. If love is so essential, and it is, we really ought to know what true love is. Am I, do I have charity? If God says it's all worthless unless I have charity, how do I know if I have love? But then 4 verses 4 to 7 gives us some information to answer these questions. First, we're going to go through a short process of elimination before we, we go on. We need to remove some things that is called love today first. So we're going to do that first. You're probably aware that the Greek language had a number of different words for love, and the English has one word and it has other words to describe things. But it has when we talk about love, we're talking any words from loving God to loving pizza, and it's not the same, or it shouldn't be. So we have uh, four common words for love that I'm going to. Just go very briefly. The one is storge, which is a natural affection between kinfolk. It's those brought together with a common bond. It's like the parent-child. It's like the, yeah, it's, it's your relative, your family love. Then number two is the filial love, which is the love between friends or between brethren. Uh, It's a strong bond between people who share common values and interests or activities. The city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And number three is eros, which is an erotic love. And this love is connected to romance, to sexual passion, and it's seen as a strong physical or emotional attraction. Now, this word love is never used in the New Testament, but I was pretty sure it was in the Old Testament, so I looked it up, and you have to look in the Greek Septuagint to get the equivalent, the New English, uh, in the, the New Testament is in Greek, and the Old Testament is in Hebrew, but if you teach the Gr- Greek Septuagint in the Old Testament, the translation, you can get those words. And Eros is in there a number of times. Just one example. It's in Esther chapter 2 verse 17. It says, and the king loved Esther above all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashtai. So that would be this word. He had this word eros. He had a passionate erotic love for Esther. <coughs> so we have Storge, Philia. And heroes, family, brotherly, and romantic love. But suppose I don't have to say anything to use that the word charity is none of these. And that would be the fourth one is agape. The love that serves regardless of the changing circumstances. It's a love that wills to love. It's not a cold religious love, but a truly selfless love. It's loving someone in that you expect you will get nothing back in return. It's the love that God has for us, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so when you say God is love, you could say God is agape. He is love. So, actually, the Bible never really defines this love. It only describes it in action. Because love is not an abstract. Love is not a feeling. love, This love is not even really an attitude. Love is a deed. Love is an activity. From the right heart. Paul says in Romans 12 that love is the fulfilling of the law. So, love is a commandment as well. Jesus told his disciples, he said uh, in John 13, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love, that ye agape one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. But at this point, the apostles or the disciples were not doing that. They were still selfish, competitive, they were rude, they were provoking each other, and they were being provoked by each other. What was missing? Well, in Galatians, where the fruit of the Spirit is described, love comes first. It's, it's this divine love. Romans 5, in the first few verses, says that this love, this agape love, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So these verses teach us that love comes from God. He gives it to us, and it's actually a gift. That's what God does, and this is what God does. God gives us a commandment that we cannot keep unless we get it from him, the ability to keep it from him. There was a quote, and I could not find it. A.W. Tozer had a quote that said something that's what God does. He gives us a commandment that we cannot keep unless we go to God and get that ability from him. And that's actually what's going on here. That means, and what this means is, I can be convicted this morning that I don't have charity, I don't have love. And I can decide, I I need to love. God commands me to love, so I am going to choose to love, since love is not a feeling, love is a choice. I'm going to choose to love, and I'm going to fail. That's what it means in, in that context. I am not going to be able to love. However, if I or you are walking with God, if we've been walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, if we are experiencing the true reality of God, then this love will grow inside of us. It will grow as fruit grows. It will be one of the many manifest- manifestations of the spirit's fruit which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's love will be poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. So, love is still a command. And we do still need to choose to love. But it's not just about a choice to love. It's actually a choice to deny self and to walk with God, to walk in the spirit. That's what the choice is. In fact, you cannot walk in the spirit unless you choose to love in this way as well. Let's go back to the Corinthians. They were a gifted people. They actually had true spiritual gifts. And they were using, they were exercising these gifts. They were not burying their talents. No one could accuse the Corinthians of burying their talents. But while they were using these gifts, they were exercising these gifts, they were walking in the flesh. The problem Paul was addressing in the church was mostly was because they were carnal and they were walking as men. Their preaching, their prophecies, their testimonies, most of what they did they did in the flesh, not while walking in the spirit. That is the reason why Paul was telling them, anything you do without true spirit-inspired charity is just noise. Exactly, worse than noise. It's just, it's just zero. It's, it's absolutely no profit. Fleshly service. Offered to God is as well received as Cain's offering. Cain offered his offering in the flesh. Abel did his in the spirit. Cain's is not accepted. What I am saying to you and to me is this. This love does not come from the flesh. It does not come from self. In fact, it cannot. So having a spiritual gift and exercising a spiritual gift does not mean I or you are spiritual. You can turn for another passage in James chapter 3. Read a few verses there that uh, connect here very well. Verses 14 to 16. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. And that was actually the Corinthians. They were full of strife and they were glorying in their strife. So what does God say about that? Well, he said this wisdom, somehow it's called wisdom, but this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, Devilish. is for where envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work reading on here but the wisdom from above is first of all pure now i'm going to be reading in the in the paraphrase the wisdom from above is first of all pure it is also peace loving gentle at all times and willing to yield to others it is full of mercy and good deeds It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. A.W. Tozer did say this. He said, as water cannot rise higher than its source, so the moral quality of an act can never be higher than the motive that inspires it. For this reason, no act that arises from an evil motive can be good, even though some good may appear to come out of it. Every deed done out of anger or spite, for instance, will be found at last to have been done for the enemy and against the kingdom of God. So if this love is not an adjective but an action, what does this spirit-inspired action actually look like? And so now we'll read. 1 Corinthians uh, 13 verses 4 to 7, and there are actually 15 descriptions of this charity. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself; is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. John MacArthur gave us just a little bit different emphasis on these, and I thought I'd like to, like to read a little bit of what he says here. The emphasis is on is. Love is suffering long. Love is acting kindly. Love is not envying. Love is not boasting. Love is not feeling conceited and on and on there. And he says here, now there is a description of love. You don't see anything abstract. You don't see anything really in terms of ideology. You only see things in terms of a behavior. What you have here is really, well, it's like love is like a light a beam of light, and a beam of light hits a prism. And this prism divides the single beam of light into all its colors, and that's what's happening here. You have one, take the concept of love and you shoot it into this prism, and 15 different colors come out of it. And all 15 describe the perfection that make up the one reality of love. And it's the spectrum of love. It's love in action. So now we will spend most of the rest of the time looking at part of these. And and I suppose we can look at ourselves. Ask the Lord where we're at. <clears throat> the first one is charity suffereth long. This means that love is patient. It's long-spirited. Now one thing I need to remind us is this. When, when we are talking about love, we're not talking about circumstances. When we're talking about patience here, we're not being, talking about being patient till the rain stops so we can walk out to our car. Or being patient till the cows come in. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about patience, we're talking about being patient with people. We're commanded to love God and to love people. And so this, all of these 15 points have to do with relationships with people. Now, I know that some people were condemned because they didn't receive the love of the truth. That's in First Thessalonians. So love of the truth is commended, but it's really God that they reject it. Because God and truth are so closely connected to to, to reject the one is to reject the other. But here, so is love is patient. It is patient with people. All people. Not only is love patient with unlovely people, it is also kind. Love is kind. That's the next one. Love is kind. Love is kind while it is patient. Love does not roll its eyes. It's not harsh. Love is gentle. Love cares for the unlovely. Chrysostom, an early church father, said of patience. He said, it is the word which is used of the man who is wronged. And who has, and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but he will never do it. He's been wrong. He can avenge himself, but he won't do it. He's patient. That's the word. It's the spirit which does not retaliate. It describes a person who doesn't get angry. When wronged. Now I'm asking you, do we need the power of the Spirit to walk in this love? <laughs> we do. We do. We can't, that's not something we drum up. In fact, I think of it, you know, and God says, you know, don't repay evil for evil, for, give place for wrath, for uh, vengeance is mine. That's this here. It's this patient. You wait. If, if, if vengeance will eventually come, you, we'll, we'll let God do it. We won't do it. Charity envious not. It's not jealous. Jealous people are resentful about others' good fortune, fortune or others' blessings or others' giftings or others' privileges or their place or whatever. I can envy a good preacher. You mothers can envy someone who has children that can easily be trained. (laughs) I think I used to do that. Envy is actually an idiom. Green with envy is actually an idiom that people get so envious. It's like it's almost like a green is like a sickness. It's it's evil, Stephen. When he was recounting uh, Stephen there in Acts, when he was when he was just before he was stoned, he was recounting the history of Israel, and he said there in verse nine, Acts seven verse nine, and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. I believe the first murder, of Cain and Abel, when Cain killed Abel is because Cain envied what Abel had. And that envy moved him to do horrible things. Think of the difference between King Saul, and think of David, you know, David there in Samuel, King Saul and his son Jonathan. What was the difference between those two men? Saul was Envious of David's success. Jonathan loved David. And envy and love don't go together. You cannot envy and love. And if you love, you do not envy. And so Jonathan and David's heart were knit together. They were the best of friends. No envy. Saul could not be friends with David. He was envious. Oscar... Wild once told a story. It's not a true story. He just made it up because it illustrates a point. He said, the devil was crossing the Libyan desert, and on his way across, he met a whole pile of his demons who were really working hard on an old hermit. Now, this old hermit now, this hermit was a saint. He had been, you know, set aside by the church, and he'd taken his vows, and he was a very holy hermit. Uh, gonna talk about, we're gonna, we're gonna put some theology aside here, okay? Let's make the point. <laughs> and so he was out there in the middle of the Libyan desert. He said no to everything in the world and he had taken off his cross and he'd gone to the desert. And so these demons were out there really trying to get him to stumble. Really trying to tempt his old hermit and they were going at a full bore. And Satan came along. And And this is what he found steadfastly, that sainted man resisted all the demons' suggestions. They weren't successful, and they couldn't get him to fall into sin. Finally, after watching their failure in disgust, the devil whispered to the demons, what you're doing is too crude. Permit me one moment. And then the devil whispered to the holy man, your brother has just been made the bishop of Alexandria and a scowl of malignant jealousy crossed this hermit's face. That, said the devil, is the sort of thing I recommend. So, how well, that's what, that's what Saul's problem was, but how well can, uh, we people can get tested in various ways. Many, many ways we can be tempted, but what about this one? Let someone beneath you, or someone is on your level, Begin to exceed beyond you and then see how well you handle that. Because there is where envy and jealousy. Someone that you used to be on top of them. You used to be up here. Someone down here. And now they are passing you up. And you still love them. That's charity. Charity does not vaunt itself. Now, vaunt means to boast. It's a braggart. It's uh, one way to describe it a windbag. Like, like, like we did in first grade. My sister can beat up your sister type of stuff. Or my sister's in sixth grade. That was, that was big stuff. And the other one said, no, that's nothing. My sister's in college. Bragging. Massey, Massey Ferguson is better than John Deere or Chevy. When I was a child, I spake as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And when I really walked with God, I stopped bragging and boasting. Now, you understand that, take that in context. When I really walked with God, I did that. So you have to ask, ask question whether I'm really walking with God. I, to my shame today... Remember early in our my Christian life that we went out witnessing. We went out to the streets and we talked to people about the Lord. And then we came back together and we talked about it. And we had these stories. And I remember, and as I look back, I was trying to get my story better than the other stories. I was actually walking in carnality, in the flesh, as I was witnessing. Now, it was mixed. I'm sure I had some good intentions and all that, but there was... A need there? Charity is not puffed up. Well, that's like the last word. It's, it means love isn't proud. It's not haughty. It's not arrogant. Paul said very plainly in First uh, Corinthians eight one a little earlier. He said he said knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, knowledge is not bad. In fact, knowledge is good. In fact, knowledge is necessary. But the problem is, it's only when you have knowledge and you don't have love that you actually use that knowledge to destroy others. That's what knowledge without love does. And what was What was missing? What was the Corinthian church doing? Their knowledge of God's true truth with God, God's true love, made them dangerous. Not just dangerous, but destructive. These gifted and smart people were destroying the church without love. Without love, we don't have anything. In fact, we'd be better off without knowledge if we're not going to love. you would be better off without knowledge. Charity is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Now, love is not behaving in an unbecoming way. And basically, as I see this, love is not rude. Why are people rude to other people? Mainly because rude people don't care how they make other people feel. Rude people are self-centered and care only about themselves. And if you don't like what I do, too bad. But I could care less. I burp when I want to. I chew with my mouth open. Chew food with my mouth open. And I block the aisle. And I don't care about your feelings. When I say things, love does not behave itself unseemly. Love is also not rude to the sinner, not to the drunkard, not to the drug addict. Love is not rude to the Pennsylvania health secretary. Seriously, love is not rude to sinners. Love is not rude to the looters, to the rioters. To the socialists, to the LGBTQ plus community, to the abortionists, Christians do need to interact and we need to respond to these people. In fact, we could go in a whole message what we should do with that, and I'm not going to. Uh, Ephesians says we are not to be partakers with them, but we're rather to expose them. We're to turn the light of God's truth on them. And we're to tell them the right way of error, but love is not rude. It's not. There was there was one there was one question, I didn't go into it, but you can think about it. Maybe this is a Sunday afternoon discussion that um, in Titus, Paul told Titus about the Corinthians that he should rebuke them sharply. And so I'm not sure how that sharply and this rudeness come together. So that's that's one of those things maybe that's some context. But the point is, love is not rude in the church or out. Seeketh not her own is not self-seeking. Here is actually the heart of love. If love isn't seeking her own, what is love seeking? It's the things of others. Love has a selfless, other-seeking posture of heart. It's the opposite of selfishness. Someone has said, if you would take the selfishness out of this world, you would have replanted the Garden of Eden. Well, maybe we can start here. (laughs) Amen. Start here. So, you're selfless. You're patient with people, you're kind to people, you're not jealous of people, you're not angry with people, you don't get upset with people, you're not provoked by people, you're very tolerant with people, you're generous with people, you're gracious with them, you're not rude, all of that means you're selfless. And we I'm gonna stop here because we can't look even at all the fifteen points. But I, I think we got a little bit of an idea. I mean I, I one thing I wanted to get is not easily provoked because that had to do with irritation and anger and frustration and love love does not love overcomes that. But I think we have enough perspective this morning. And so the question comes and have not charity. How horrible. We do everything we do, all that trouble, all that travail, everything we do in life and try to be good, try to do this, try to do that, all that thing. And you don't have this, you don't have it. Denying yourself of pleasures, exercising all those spiritual gifts, and then losing it all. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Yes, we did all that. Then I shall say, I depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. In fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount and the 13th chapter of of Corinthians mesh together very well because they both reach past the exterior and the activity and the show and they go down into our hearts, right down to the core, both the Sermon on the Mount and this chapter, down to the motives. Without this love, we will struggle. A family will struggle. A church will struggle. We will fail our true mission and purpose. But with this love, we will surely prosper. So in conclusion, I would like to remind us, you and me, that this kind of love is possible for us because this kind of love is given to us. As we surrender to the Lord and as we follow Him where He guides us, He will give us this love. But one other reminder this love is costly. This love is going to cost you your freedom. This love is going to cost you of you wanting to do what you want to do when you want to do it. It's going to cost you that. It's going to cost you liberty. even going to cost your life in the sense that it's going to cost your, your freedom, your liberty, what you want to do. It's going to cost you that. You've got to give that up. If you want this love, if I want this love, I have to give that up. It's a surrender. It's a surrendered life to the God of the universe. So there's a few more questions, I mean, a few more verses here in ending. Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, Now the end or the purpose of this commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. 1 Peter 4, 7-8, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And Second Peter 1-7, to and add, adding things, add to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. Now, really, the whole goal of this, all of these qualities we looked at and the ones we didn't look at, is simply a portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the goal? What is our goal on earth? Till we all come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. I'm a mentor Christian for the graces of God. That's what I want, and I trust it's what you want. I pursue as well, so may God bless you all.